Well, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Romans chapter 13. That's where we'll be today. I'd like to introduce myself. My name, again, is Larry Kuntz, and I went into the military when I was 17 years old. I left school a little bit early, some trouble there in the way that I grew up, and um, I had never heard the gospel. And after my second year serving, a young man, probably about your age, came up to me and asked me the oddest question that I could ever think of. And that was if I were to die, which certainly had no plans of it, uh, where would I spend eternity? And I told him I would spend it in heaven. And he said, why? And I said, well, I'm Catholic and by name only. And he began uh, carefully, compassionately, and annoying a lot of times. He kept approaching me and sharing with me through the scriptures uh, what the Bible said about me and who God really was. And probably about three, maybe four months after he had been witnessing to me, I was by myself, and I realized finally that I was lost. I did not realize that, and that if I did die, I would not spend eternity in heaven, and that bothered me. And I didn't know what to say, but I said something. I can't even remember what it was. I don't even know the date. I know where I was, and I know the year, and I know how old I was, and I asked the Lord to be my Savior. And then about four years later, my wife uh, got saved. And so uh, it has been quite a journey, quite a change, and we're thankful that some young man uh, decided to get out of his comfort zone, maybe, and ask us that question because it started everything. And because of that, we were able to raise our children, our two girls then, uh, in the faith as well. And we were able to lead quite a few family members to the Lord over the years. In fact, at 82 years old, my wife led my mother to the Lord. I had witnessed my mom for I don't know, 40 years, whatever that would be in the math. And I just didn't have a lot of credibility with her. She couldn't see it, but she loved my wife. And uh, she saw a difference in our life and she got saved. And so don't give up, keep praying. And uh, the Lord is gracious and kind, isn't he? Well, uh, Neighborhood Bible, 1952. Now, how many of you were around then? 19, no, oh, we got one hand. <laughs> In 1952, by Charles and Peggy Holmshire, they had a burden. They were about your age. How many of you are 24 years old? Okay, at 24 years old, they decided that they were going to take their car and drive down to the projects in Denver and just go up and knock on the doors and try to bring children down and have an hour of truth. That was their goal, just to get kids to come out of the apartments and and come down. And Brother Holmshire told me all those years, he said, when I went to those doors, it reminded me of empty refrigerators and broken furniture. That's what he saw there. And he would bring these kids down and they would, they would teach for about an hour and then they would send them back up. And then uh, they didn't plan to stay there very long. I don't know how long they, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, I'm not sure. But the kids just kept coming. And they just kept coming. And so they got a bus and they would have the rallies on the bus. In fact, I just received a testimony from a man in 1957, said that he was eight years old, nine years old at the time, and he was sitting on that bus. And he said an older man, which was probably Brother Holmshire, was, was only about 30. But when you're eight, 30 seems like there's no hope at all for somebody. And so um, uh, Brother Holmshire was preaching and uh, his wife would help teach the lessons as well. And he said, it was right there that my heart was struck. And he says, I trusted the Lord as my Savior. And, and we moved, being a dysfunctional family. And he says, I lost touch. But they sent me some follow-up work. And he says, all my life, I've, I've served the Lord. I've lived, I've lived for the Lord. And he says, I was just all of a sudden curious, who was that man? And he began to Google. 
the internet, and he found out who it was, and he wrote a wonderful testimony of the difference one person made in his life. And so aren't you glad that uh, Brother Holmshire uh, uh, went and left his home with his wife to, to just reach a few, to reach a few. Well, if you fast forward over the 71 years, Brother Holmshire's in heaven, but over the 71 years, over 2 million boys and girls and teenagers have attended a neighborhood Bible time youth crusade, most unsaved. And as they came, two young men, just like you, in college would go and they would preach and Hundreds of thousands have been saved. Many are serving today as college presidents, serving as missionaries, businessmen, deacons, Sunday school teachers all over the world. And God has done a work that is marvelous in our eyes. I'm so glad for it. The power of the gospel to change lives. And that, that 414 window, you've heard of that 1040 window, right? When it comes to uh, reaching unreached uh, people group, there is a greater window, and that's that window between the ages of 4 and 14. That's when most kids are receptive and, and, and they respond to the gospel. And that's what we have every time that we go to a rally and we stand before the most responsive mission field, children and teenagers, and they do respond. You know, teenagers today, they might not be churched anymore. I know that even though I was not churched, we didn't even go to church, I knew enough when that man asked that question that I thought I was on my way to heaven. I knew there was a trinity. I knew about Mary. I knew about certain things. I certainly didn't understand grace and works, and I didn't understand all that part of it. I was certainly deceived. But today you can go to doors and knock, and they don't even know who Jesus is. In fact, one young lady that my wife was dealing with, um, she came forward and she goes, uh, when the man kept mentioning, which was one of the evangelists, the name Jesus Christ, she said, I thought he was cussing. Because the only time when my dad is mad, that's what he uses. Did not know that Jesus Christ was a son of God, let alone loved her unconditionally. And so um, uh, what a difference that has made over the years now. And it, it goes on. God is still using people. And even though teenagers might not know much about the gospel, they know something's not right. They know something not right. They know that uh, a lot of people commit suicide at that age. They see their friends and what is going on and, and, and all the stuff with genders and all this going on. They know that it's, it's not natural. It's, it's, it's not right. They don't know what. They're just waiting. They're just waiting. And Neighborhood Bible Time helps churches reach the most responsive mission field. And it takes young men certainly to do that. And so if you have a a desire to go out and preach all summer long, come and see me. Uh, that's the end goal. The end goal is evangelism through the local church. But the real heart of Neighborhood Bible Time is to invest in young men because it's character that places you in the ministry and the lack of character that disqualifies you from ministry. And so we want to invest in you as well as you grow in your Christ-likeness. Okay, are you there at Romans? All right, Romans chapter 13. Before we read our text, I'd like to say, um, with all that said, since we're in the last days, we ought not to be surprised by last day prophecies being fulfilled right before our very eyes. So actually, things are not really falling apart. They're falling into place. So for us, it's good news. We know that the redemption is, 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 is close. But the sad thing is, is it ought to move us to urgency, not complacency. Knowing that, hey, at any moment, as we know in every generation, today could be our last day on planet Earth, either by death or by the return of the Lord. It ought to move us to urgency. We ought to be more excited uh, about his appearing than our disappearing. And we ought to stay and serve him. Let me give you a quote that was 
given to me last year while we were at training. It really has had an impression upon me, and then we'll launch into our text. There was a missionary named um, Henry Martin, and he also kept a, um, a, a journal. And after he died, his children took that journal, which was private. It was written for him, to him, as he would uh, receive what God was doing. Heart. And he wrote this, so I don't think that he said it to be published. You know, some quotes are to be published, but uh, this was not. It wasn't said in a public way. In fact, many people probably didn't know who he was, but he wasn't at the time that he lived. And he said this, and I think you ought to write it down if you can. You know, don't worry, I'm not looking to see if you do, and if you don't, that's fine. But it says, it says, may I be reminded. So he's writing to himself. Something's stirring in him. He says, may I be reminded, he's talking to himself, that the first business in life is the sanctification of my own soul. That's the crucial thing, is your walk with God. That it would be real, it'd be, uh, it would be transparent, and it would be to the Lord before anything else. Let me read that one more time. May I be reminded that the first great business in life is the sanctification of my own soul. And that's important. So let's look at our text, Romans chapter 13, and we're going to read uh, verses 11 through 14, okay? Are you there? And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Is that not true? Right? You're saved, and we're getting closer to that time where either you'll go home to be with the Lord or the Lord could return. The night is far spent. Some of you wish it was still night, but the night is far spent. And the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness and not in chamberlain and wantedness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Father, thank you now. Certainly we gathered today because of your word. It's all about you. The most important words in the Bible is in the beginning, God, thank you. It was just by mere grace. Father, thank you for creating us and we're accountable to you because you are our creator. And so, Father, we gather at special moments like this in the busyness of the day to set ourselves aside to hear how we can grow and how we can please you in our life that we have here on earth. Thank you. Thank you for the time that you've given us so far. Some people don't make it as far as the age of some of us in here already. And so, Father, thank you for that. Now help us grow. Help us to take our walk seriously. And, and Father, would you please uh, put into us today, once again, the urgency of the moment, the urgency of every minute of every moment. So, Father, thank you now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So it's time to get serious, is the thought. You're advancing nearer to heaven. You are hastening to the world of glory. One day, you will cross over that final Jordan. And heaven's nothing more than a welcome mat right into the presence of the Lord. We'll be there one day. The night is far spent, our text says. The day's at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Daily we approach the kingdom of light. And in prospect of that state, we ought to lay aside sin. We ought to take account of our life and our walk with Christ and live more and more in preparation for the world and the light of that glory. 
than when we believed, than when we began to believe. Every day brings us nearer to a world of, of, of perfect light by age, the return of Christ or either by physical death. So I want to give you three points today to help drive this point home and so we don't get on a rabbit trail or anything. So the first point is going to be the incomparable Christ. The incomparable Christ. And second will be the imperative from Christ. The imperative from Christ. And the third is the immediate from Christ. The immediate. There's always urgency when Christ preaches. There's always urgency when we look in the scriptures. There's always a decision to make. There's always something that the Holy Spirit is showing us to go deeper with or maybe to get right or maybe even be saved even today. So let's jump into our text, the incomparable Christ. Let's look at one part of our text there, Romans chapter 13, um, 14a. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ is, means to take him as a pattern or a guide, to imitate his example, to obey his precepts, to become like him, to know him. I remember when I first got saved and the young men were starting to disciple me then. You know, you're supposed to do that. You know that, right? When you lead someone to the Lord, you just don't leave them. You have, to, you, have to, you have to work with them and you have to see them grow. You have to watch them mature and you want to take that responsibility on. I'm so thankful that the men that did lead me to the Lord, they spent a lot of time with me afterwards and I really appreciate that. And I am, by the grace of God, what I am, but a lot because they did spend time with me. And I remember every day I was in the military, so I had to put on a certain uniform and I had to take something off, put something on. I remember when they taught me that, put on Christ. I said, what does that mean? You know, I never... Heard all this was all brand new. And so I would say, okay, okay. And when I would put on my dungarees or I'd put on my jumpsuit or whatever it was, I'd put it on. And I said, okay, I'm putting on Christ. I'm putting on Christ. When you do that each day, we must absorb his principles, imitate his example, copy his spirit to become like him. We want to change from glory to glory to glory into the image of Christ so we can be used in a greater way. That our faith may be real and genuine. So to put him on, we must see him as truly as incomparable, and he is. And put him on by faith each day. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, what? That's right. It is impossible to please him. So faith is certainly a major ingredient there. Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. He's immutable. So let me assure you that Christ has all the love, kindness, compassion, pity, majesty, which we will need in every season that we will face this year. I don't know what you're facing. I'm sure you're facing something. I'm sure that God is working in you, maybe in a trial, maybe there's some areas, a college, being away from home, whatever it is. But God has crafted your journey and all these are there for us. He's incomparable. He's the answer. That's why we need to put him on each day and walk by faith. There's not a single step you will take this year without him. Is that not exciting? You don't look very excited, but I'm sure you inside, you're just like jumping. Right? Everybody but one guy. Okay. But God has crafted a journey for you, and he's going to intersect that journey at every point with everything you need for that journey. That's the type of God we have. God in his perfect timing will give you at the right time grace so you can learn to trust him in a faithful way, because he is a faithful God. What a blessing to be a child of God, that he is walking with us and involved in our lives. Therefore, you must trust no one else. You must depend on nothing else or look to any other source for peace and comfort but through Jesus Christ. 
Put on Christ each day. Make no provision for the faith. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches by good glory by Christ Jesus. All your soul's needs, your body needs, your college needs. Does anybody have a school bill? Your college needs, your, your ability to stay alert, your, your ability to understand what is taking place. This is a busy place. That's one thing I've noticed already. And so you can be here handling very holy things and be very far from the Lord. And you might think, you might think your holiness is based on how busy you are. you got to be careful. You could fall into lukewarmness and not even realize it. You could go all through college and miss God. What a tragedy that would be, wouldn't it? And so, but he meets those needs. Meets the needs at home. The needs at work, the needs while you're living, the needs when you die. Jesus will supply them all, only ask him and receive it according to his will. Now one hair will be missing at year's end that did not escape his careful eye. So his infinite wisdom devises uh, your way. His infinite love directs your steps. If you meet him with a loss, he plans in perfect a way that he'll find you to fill that human void. So even if you lose something, even, even if it's something that the Lord uh, takes or, or, or maybe a thorn in the flesh or whatever, his grace is sufficient to fill that. And if he meets, a, and he meets with a trial that is placed upon you to good, he will take that good and use it more to reach others for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of entering into this year with Jesus as your focus. Is he your focus? Is he the object of your focus? Is he unswerving in his promises to conform you into his likeness? He, he is always working. The Holy Spirit moves in and looks at you and says, wow, what a mess. Where do I need to start? And he begins to tear down those, those habits and those wrong thinkings and replace them by renewing your mind. Gives mercy to us as well. So no matter what happens in the most evil world we live in, he keeps his seed at the throne of grace. Aren't you glad? No matter all this that's going on, I don't go to bed nervous about it. I go to bed excited about the opportunity there is more than ever to reach people the gospel because it's so dark that our light is so bright. It's so bright. He is the king. He is the Lord of hosts. He's not disengaged in your life. He's able to attend to every need that you have. What is your need? What is it? He already knows it. He's already been there. Just pour it out to him. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We can no longer live incognito. We must identify with Christ. The time is short and the mission is urgent. And our second point then is the imperatives from Christ. Christ gives us imperatives. How do we carry this out? We've got some knowledge here on the verse and the importance of putting on Christ and being focused. But the imperatives is where we want to uh, learn. The word imperative means uh, not to be avoided or evaded. And let's look at our text. Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let's therefore cast off the works of of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. He's talking to believers. He's talking to you and I. Uh, it's relevant. It was relevant then, and it's relevant today. So you must be equipped if you're going to cast off the works of darkness. So how do we do this? Well, the text always gives us the answer with a negative and a positive. Two imperatives of exhortation. The first one is cast off. 
is the first imperative. You need to get rid of, to cast off. Paul is literally saying, get undressed from the dress of the world. You want to walk in Christ? You want to have a difference? You want, to, you, 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 you want the joy of the Lord in your life? Then you're going to have to cast off the dress of this world. You can't allow anything at all into your life that would cause you to be like the world. And the second imperative is to put on. And once we, once we put off. So there's a putting off before we can put on. Get dressed with the armor of light, he says, the light of Christ. That's what Christian life is all about, casting off and putting on. Casting off the old and putting on the new. The world casting off in the Greek has urgency, haste. It's important today. Don't wait. Don't make a list and figure out, well, we'll do this over the next six months. Right now, those things that you already know, cast off. Get rid of them. Maybe you've allowed them back into your life. Maybe you've cast them off already, but somehow you've picked them back up and you've allowed them to get back into your life. It's amazing how... The world gets evil and evil instead of the Christians, the born-again believers, those that know Christ, staying in the position they should be. We have a tendency to move a couple steps, but we're so much um, uh, uh, different from the world, we think we're okay, but we've moved. We've moved away from where we should be. Even Isaiah in chapter number 6, here he is, God's man. If Isaiah was, was here today, I would not be preaching. They'd say, Isaiah, you need to preach. And if he was here, and there he was in chapter number 6 of Isaiah, and yet uh, in chapters 1 through 5, he is preaching, woe unto you, woe unto you. And he gives, he gives those six woes, but the seventh one was for him. Even as God's man preaching God's word, God pointed at him and said, wait a minute, you've trusted a little bit of Uriah, the, 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 the kingdom here, the government more than you have for me. And that can happen sometimes. We just so slowly move. It's like the proverbial frog. We don't realize it. And the next thing you know, we are just like the world. So there's haste. Haste. We don't like that today. We don't like accountability and we don't like urgency. But lay aside. Don't keep them. Every filthy rag of self-righteousness needs to go. We need to come out of the darkness and fight the battle from the strength of the light. You can't fight the good fight clothed in darkness. You must be right. You must walk in the light as he's in the light. You must get those things right. You can't be double-minded. There's no stability found there. Christians are called to walk in the light as he's in the light. We're not light. Who's light? Christ is the light. But we walk in the light as he's in the light. And that transforms us. The world of darkness we need to cast off, our text tells us. But what are those works? How do we identify those? Well, in Romans chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chamberlain, chamberlain and wantedness, not in strife and envy. There's these, these three couplets. Um, three, they set off, they set what we should cast off. Intemperate living. Self-indulgence, riot and drunkenness. Riding applies to excess feasting and rowdy carousing in a worldly lifestyle. The way the world celebrates is ungodly. We not ought to participate with intoxicating drinks, mindless acts of self-indulgence, or behavior unbecoming a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. We're not of this world anymore. We are to, control, we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and nothing else. 
Then Chamberlain and wantonness is sexual behavior. Paul's talking about looseness with morality, lewd behavior, indecent practices. We see that all around us today, and we should have no part of it. Transgender and homosexuality, all types of sexuality outside the marriage covenant is not right and wrong, and we should not participate in it, practice in it, or put our eyes where we can see that. I remember I was in an uh, ordination of, a, of, a, of a, a man that was going to be ordained. I didn't go into the ministry until I was 40. I got saved, like I said, in my 20s, and I was in the business world, and then when I was... 38 or 39, well, even before that, the Lord was stirring, so I started going to some ordinations just to listen to what that was all about, and uh, the question from one of the men was, uh, what are you doing to keep yourself pure? And he, you know, what, what a question is, the same question to you, what are you doing to keep yourself pure? What is your plan? I mean, certainly if there's no plan, then how are you going to keep yourself pure? And uh, he, uh, his wife said, first he said his wife goes through Everything that's casual reading before he does, not theological reading, but the casual reading, and she makes sure that it would be acceptable for him to have that in his mind. In fact, he says that he had changed his direction to work because of billboards. He didn't even want to have that type of thought even come into his mind. Guard your mind, men. Be careful, ladies. And so that's what it's saying here. This is important. This is what we're to cast off. It, it happens. Our world is just surrounded with all of this everywhere we go. This wantonness plagues our nation today. Unbridled sexual behavior hinders the use of our nation. It damages marriages. Did you know of the young men that I recruit? And I'm so thankful for each one of them. What a blessing they are. So full of life. There's no mountain too high. They can't wait to get out there. It's, you have to hold them back. Hold them back and send them out right. But they're just excited about everything. And But I will tell you that probably 30% of them come from divorced families. And they're from believer families. This is how this can creep in into the life and ruin a family. It tears at the very fabric of our families. It attacks the heart of our society and causes people to think wrongly. It's anti-God. It corrupts the mind. It's like drinking from a broken cistern. And then, of course, he gives the third one that we're to cast off. The third ungodly emotions are strive and envy. Includes aggressiveness in your relationships. That gets a little closer to home here. Causing backbiting, quarreling, causing division, responding the moment you are rubbed the wrong way, the wrong way. Getting even with others. Spreading discords. Sneak in in a negative word about someone behind their back. Put these things off. These are important. If we're going to have the power of God in our life, if we're going to accomplish because the day is far spent, the night is gone, the urgency is here. And God, your plan A, did you know that? There's no plan B. We're plan A. We're the way that God has chosen for the gospel to get out is through us. Godly living is important. Now, certainly we know standards don't make us holy. But holiness gives us the right standards, doesn't it? If, you, if, you, if you're holy, if you're searching and growing in Christ's likeness and renewing your mind, you will have the right standards. You'll have them a balanced right standards as well. Put these things off. They're signs of spiritual immaturity. Get rid of these things by confessing and by God's grace allowing them to pass away. 
They hinder you. Your college, your church, your spiritual growth will be hindered when we walk in that type of living. We are in an important battle. We can't be taking pot shots at one another. We have to be fighting the fight of Christ. We have to be on the same, we have to be in the same army. We should, we should not be using friendly fire against each other. We're not talking about doctrine here. We're talking about within a body. We're going to be putting on, putting on uh, urgency and strength under the same cause and fight because the real enemy is Satan. real enemy is Satan and his demons. And then our last point is the immediate from Christ. There's always an invitation when Christ speaks. There's always a reason to allow the Holy Spirit to show those things that maybe I didn't even mention that, that you know that need to be dealt with. And it says right here, it says, Now we need to make no provision for the flesh. It's urgent, Romans 13, 14, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof because all sin is spiritual insanity. If you think about it, sin is insanity. It makes no sense. There's no value in it. It does not help at all. And the Bible tells us in that verse, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. All these can be summarized in this way. Don't make provision for the flesh. Don't leave the window open even a crack. Don't allow any foothold. Guard your mind. Guard your life. Have accountability. Be real. Be transparent. Get with somebody. Pray often. Uh, put yourself underneath some type of accountability. Uh, we need one another. Don't leave the window open. It sneaks in so subtly. You know that little thing that you have in your pocket, most likely right now, that, that, that cell phone can take you anywhere you want to go with one click. Someone says, well, how do we get rid of the number one problem out there of sensuality and social media that's, that's, that's ruining Christianity and we all have that phone and we all use it. Well, how, how, how do we get rid of that? Do we put, do we put um, uh, uh, what do they call those little things on them? Filters or what do, we, what do we put on? You want to get rid of it and you want to, then the phones have to go. They just have to go. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> as long as you have it, you'll be tempted. They need to go. You say, well, then I couldn't function. Well, we did before they were. You can't pretend you are engaged in a spiritual battle, but yet all along feeding and making provisions for the flesh when you're off by yourself. It isn't what I see today. It's what we don't see today. You can't be very spiritual in public, but at home by yourself feeding the flesh by internet surfing. Surfing the television tube, YouTube, down your guard. It'd be like a soldier going behind the enemy lines and passing out ammunition at night to the other side and then coming back over and fighting on the other side. Does it, right? That's insane. It doesn't make any sense. Who would do that? Well, we do that when we go A-W-O-L, absent without leave, when we put on our guard, we actually are a Benedict Arnold. Doing in dark secret places, but yet serving in the light, this ought not to be. You're committing spiritual treason. Treason. Let me give you an illustration. It might help you out. At our church, we have a big cross, so it really works out well. It's right here. Um, but we're to, uh, uh, we're to kill sin. 
we're to let it die. We're to make no provision for it. Now, back in the days of Rome, when we, when we read the scriptures, we see that it was not uncommon for crucif uh, cruci crucifying people. Uh, certainly, uh, crosses dotted uh, the landscape of many people being killed by that way. Now, when somebody would assume the cross, uh, their voice was very loud. Just think of the two people that were on each side of Jesus and Jesus himself. When they were first put on the cross, their voice was loud. Many of them would even complain and yell and say, this is unright, so on. And so there was, there was a loudness, but it needed to stay on the cross. And as it stayed on the cross, the voice got lower and lower and the influence got lower and lower. And then eventually it died. And when we put that sin on the cross, we made no provision for it. Keep it on the cross. Let it die. Don't take it back. Don't, don't, don't allow it in your hands. Don't allow it in your room. Put it off. Put it, put it, let it be on that cross and it will die. All things on the cross die. Put it on there. Nail it to the cross. Kill sin. Be vigilant. Be ever looking to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't let a hint of sin be named around you. What if we did this if we were in, like in a group together and every time the conversation went the wrong way, we just raised our hand? Stop! But we don't. We kind of join into it. Don't allow that. Get away from those things. Don't allow anything at all. Don't let the hint of sin be named around you. Paul said in Ephesians, in Ephesians says, kill the flesh by the grace and the provision of the Spirit. So, how do we practically starve the flesh and give it no provision? Well, let me give you a few here as we end. We surrender by grace to the power of the risen Christ. He alone can give us the victory. In Him, there is a provision where I can say no. I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but there's a greater law in us now. And that greater law is life and liberty. It is Christ in us. We can now say no to sin. We can because of him, not because of us. But we can. He is greater than anything that we are facing. And by faith, we give no provision to the flesh. Faith believes Christ can enable us to get victory over fleshly desires that creep into our mind. Faith finds us in total dependence that he will give us the grace needed to be victorious instead of defeated. Faith allows us to flee to him by rejecting temptation. You know, God would be disingenuous if he saved us but didn't give us the power to live a holy life. It'd be disingenuous. It'd be like a doctor working all day in surgery and he's tired and he's exhausted and so he's walking out of the hospital and maybe he takes his cap off or whatever. He's just exhausted. He just wants to get home. He just wants to go to bed and he walks outside the door and there someone's laying that couldn't get into the hospital but they made their way to the door and they collapsed right there and he sees them and he's been working 14 hours or she has and so he says, oh, and he kind of just... Steps over, steps over him and continues on his way. We laugh, but would that be disingenuine? Would he be worthy of being a doctor? No way. I don't care how tired he is. He ought to pick the body up, take it in and care for it. And that's what God's done. He's provided a way that we can have victory. We can be regularly victorious and surprised by defeat. Faith allows us to reject temptation. Faith is a reality and the victory for us. The same faith exercised to be saved is the same faith. The, 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 the gospel to the unsaved is faith in Christ alone, right? We, we come to him knowing that there's no hope, and so we uh, trust him by faith. And that same way, we take those same promises and trust by that same faith that God can deliver me. 
he can give me a life pleasing to him, but we're just not desperate enough. Desperate enough. We kind of like our sin. Follow his example. When we grow in Christ, the Spirit changes us into the image of Christ. Literally, our thoughts become his thoughts. We're veiled so that our will will be his will. Now, how many of you have ever seen guardrails before? Like when you're driving like on a mountain or something like that? Would you say those are pretty good? So if I gave you guys uh, a, a job to do today, let's just say, could they have the rest of the day off? Okay. And so I give you some paper, and I tell you, go door to door and just ask if they'll sign to have all guardrails taken away for, that, that are out there for safety. Just say, hey, listen, you know what? We got to stop. These people have to learn. They're just going to have to go over the cliff. If we keep these guardrails there, every, this is going to be okay. So I'm going to, would you sign, and we're going to get rid of all the guardrails. Would that be ridiculous? Would, that go, would you be embarrassed to even ask that question? And that's what we need in our life is we need guardrails. Guardrails help us. They're principles that we learn, that we apply to our life. They're the guardrails to keep us from stepping out of the light. We need those guardrails. They're there for safety. Why are we removing them? We need more of them, not less of them. And when we remove those guardrails or we change those guardrails, that's where we run into trouble. So keep those guardrails. Praise God for them. Principles is what drives us and keeps us. So no matter what we face, no matter what we come up against, we take those principles and it shows us what we need to do to keep out of the trouble. Everywhere that you look where sin has raged in the Bible, it's all because they stepped aside from the principles of the scriptures. We need to pray the Holy Spirit make us so sensitive to sin and how do we do that? By knowing his word. We need to have the mind of Christ. We need to walk as he walked. Rejoice in what he rejoiced. Weep over what he weeped over. Having the same enemies he had. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ when we think his thoughts and follow his steps and imitate his example. Become more like him by yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit through his word. You know, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? That changes us. But we're in a cooperation with him, not in a position of authority, but we yield to those principles. We yield to what God is doing in our heart through his scriptures. This is the last one here, and then we'll, we'll close. We make no provision for the flesh when we feed upon him. What are you feeding on? Where, where are you getting your meals? We feed upon him by learning of him in the scriptures. We don't read the scriptures to get more favor with him. You have all the favor that you can through the birth. We don't look for more favor, but we want to be used. And we want to give back our life to him. So we learn of him by meditating upon his precepts and his principles. We drink of him. He's able to fill us. Don't discount the importance of memorizing and meditating upon God's word. The Bible tells us, open thy mouth. And he says he will fill it. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, probably familiar too. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be what? Filled. Filled. Well, let me read this um, opening text one more time. Let's just think through it. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit maybe has pointed something out. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where you are spiritually. Uh, I've met a few of you, and you've been very kind to stop by and 
tell me a little bit about yourself and what's going on in your life, and I appreciate that. Let's read this a little slow here. Let's look at our text, and then we'll close. Romans 13, 11 through 14. I know most of you probably have probably already packed everything up, and you got one foot out the aisle. Okay, let's read this together. It says, and that... Knowing the time. Now you know the time. Or you've been reminded of the time. Do you know what the time is? It's the last days. It's been the last days. It wasn't the last days last week. It's been the last days since Christ has gone back to heaven. We're waiting for his return. Knowing the time. That is now high time to awake out of our sleep. Get out of that slumber, that stupor. For now, as it doesn't say don't sleep, you need to sleep. It's talking about a spiritual sleep where you're just walking around, you're just missing it, you're, 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 you're half gone. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And that is true. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Maybe today, my daughter's had the same um, uh, science teacher and he had in his room, maybe today, maybe today, maybe today, maybe today. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chamberlain and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fill the lust thereof. What will you do with the message? How many messages do you guys hear a week? I can't imagine. If every decision that was made at the altar at every college chapel, we'd be turning missionaries away and pastors saying, listen, you're going to have to wait about 20 years because, man, this is just a dedicated group. So many people come forward. They're just right with God. They're go but that's not the case. So I know there's a great need. What is it? What will you do with the message? What is it in your heart that God is showing you? Where have you gotten sloppy? Where have you gotten casual? Where have you not taken the seriousness of the day you live in? Think about this. You live in the greatest age. You know why it's the greatest age? Because God put you here. Isn't that great? He chose you to live right now. To be in this moment, in probably one of the most desperate times for our nation, he has chosen this group and me. I'm 60 years old. And he's chosen us to be here right now. This is a great time. Don't squander it. Don't miss it. Be in it. Find out what God's doing and get around it. I know you're busy here. I'm not, I'm not talking about your outward ministry. I'm talking about your walk with Christ. Walk with him and do what you're doing. Because <laughs> we're supposed to get out, right? We're supposed to be passing out. We're supposed to be a human track rack. We're supposed to be out uh, sharing our faith everywhere. And I appreciate the testimonies on Monday that you're doing that. Keep doing that. In excess. In excess. It's the only time you can be a liberal. You can be liberally giving out the gospel. But take this part of the message seriously. You make so many decisions. What will be different with this decision? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. What will you do?